Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is discussing the current MVP race through 25 games. So Jalen and I compiled our list of the top five candidates for MVP. So, Jalen, who are your top five NBA candidates for MVP? So, at number five, I have the boy Jalen Brown. At number four, I have Kevin Durant. At number three, I have Nicole Jokic. At number two, I have LeBron James. And at number one, I have the homie Joel Embiid. So at number five, I have the back-to-back reigning MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Number four, I have Nikola Jokic. Number three, I have LeBron James. Number two, I have Kevin Durant. And number one, I have Joel Embiid. All right, so let's kind of start at the bottom with our last guys, I guess you could say. I think that would be a good way to start out with the Eastern Conference. You have a more notable name in these type of MVP races. I have a guy who I think not really many people are discussing as an MVP. He's more so being thrown into the pool of guys who are in that most improved player race that eventually we're going to have to talk about. Um, So shout out Ian on this one because this is his team. This is his squad. But I want to start with you in terms of pitching your case for Giannis Antetokounmpo, because for me, I maybe for me, maybe I'm just being lazy here, but I have a bit of Giannis Antetokounmpo burnout. And um, with that being the case, I know if me as a fan already has burnout of what he's been able to do in the regular season, I think that that similar effect could spiral on a spiral through NBA media in terms of not necessarily wanting to lean in his favor, despite the fact that he is putting up relatively good numbers and they are top three in the Eastern Conference right now. So first of all, before I start my honest take, my honorable mention is Jalen Brown, and we will discuss our honorable mentions later. I think Giannis has to be in this conversation. When you're a back-to-back reigning MVP, it already speaks for itself. You're in this conversation. And the first year that he won MVP, 27 points a game, 12 and a half rebounds, close to six assists. The other year he won MVP, 29 and a half points a game, 13.6 rebounds, close to six assists. This season, he's averaging 27 points, 11 rebounds, close to six assists, a steal a game, and he's shooting close to 56% from the field. Now, obviously, the thing that is holding him back are the three-point numbers. First year, he won MVP, 25% from three. Second year, he won MVP, 30% from three. This year, 28% from three. So that's obviously the thing that's holding him back. But we're talking about performance in the regular season. And for two years in a row, Giannis Antetokounmpo, has been the best basketball player in the regular season. 
This year, it's tough for him. I think that you not putting Giannis on your list signifies that the top five that you have are the five players that you believe are better than Giannis right now. And I think that's that's the case that people are going to have to make with Giannis. It's only going to get tougher as more names get thrown into the hat because, honestly, we could have made a top 20 for this list. So it's tough for Giannis to try to go back to back to back and win MVP three years in a row. I mean, like I said before, I already admitted at the beginning that, like, with Giannis, it's more so the fatigue of seeing him at that position. I honestly think that he should not have won the MVP as, like, practically unanimously as he did last season. I also think that he was not the defensive player of the year last year. I think it was Anthony Davis. I don't even understand the logic behind that. But, of course, there's a certain fascination with creating history. There's a certain fascination with Giannis Antetokounmpo's style of play with the fact that he's one of those guys that you just say if he has a three-point shot, he's killing everybody. So the fact is they want to see him do it. But in the meantime, he's dunking on everybody's head, speaking to him in Greek after he does it and goes back down and blocks your shot. So it's one of those things where I could see where the fascination comes from. But similar to Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jalen Brown has improved every season, every single year. He started as a guy who averaged 6.6 points to start his career off. He's averaging 26.7 points four years later. Four years later, he's averaging 26.7 points. Jalen, you know what the you know what the most impressive thing about Jalen Brown is though? What pick was he in that uh, 2016 draft? Third, right? Yeah, he was third. And he was averaging 6.6 points a game, and people were, were writing him off early in his career. Look at them now. You're right. And I'm glad you kind of cut me off for that one because honestly, that's kind of a really important thing to talk about. Is that uh when you look at look at the expectations, he's one of those guys who and I hate to go, I have to I hate the transition to a guy like this, but like Alonzo Ball, for example, Alonzo Ball at the, as a second overall pick has still not really defined what his calling card in the league is. You know what I mean? Besides being a top level full court facilitator, which is not really saying much because that means that you can just pretty much pass well when the court is open and you're very good in the fast break. That doesn't really define who you are as like a as a overall NBA player, right? You don't have you're not a three point specialist. You're you're an all NBA caliber player, but you're not an all NBA def, like an all M, all NBA defensive player. But it's caliber. It's not that you are once. So that's not your calling card either. Even though you're a really nice team defender, you're a really nice facilitator, but you're not very good in the half court as a facilitator. So most of your assists come in transition you can't be a transition specialist i'm sorry that's not like that's not like a thing in the nba despite the fact that the you know plays per possession and different things like uh you know possessions per game and stuff like that have increased over the years it's not like a thing that keeps you in the league long term jalen brown has improved in every category to the point that he's going to be a guy who should arguably be an all-star this year i think he falls into a similar category unfortunately as guys like julius randall who not a very notable name at the top. Some of the guys who are a lot more known are going to get a lot of the votes early. Some of the people who watch the games for real, the guys who actually know what we're talking about and actually have two eyes and watch the games on YouTube at bare minimum, know that Jalen Brown has been playing at a high level. Before I get into the stats, Ryan, let's look at this too, because I feel like this is really important. Jason Tatum is missed time. Kimball Walker is missed time. 
Marcus Smart has been out. Peyton Pritchard has been out. Their center position is questionable with Daniel Tice at the helm. Tristan Thompson has been there. Question mark. And Jeff Teague's been a disaster, like I said in a past episode. Jalen Brown is literally like the model of consistency for this team. They're top three in the East. And it had like top three, top five in the East. And it has everything to do with Jalen Brown. <laughs> so like you factor that into the fact that he's averaging 26.7 points per game, 3.4 assists, 5.6 rebounds. He's averaging almost a steal and a half a game. And I think the most important thing too is his shooting splits. He's shooting 56.3% from two. He's shooting 42.7% from three, which is literally like three or 4% higher than his career high, which came in 2017, 2018 season. That was his second year in the league. And then you throw on the fact that he's shooting 52% from the floor overall, which is about 4% higher than his over, like, like higher than like his career high, which was last season at 48%. So the dude has a higher usage rating. He has a higher usage rating than he did, um, you know, in past seasons, yet he's getting to the free throw line more, which that part is actually relatively realistic. His, his shooting percentages are improving despite the fact that he's taking more shots. And his assist to turnover ratio is still about the same, despite the fact that he has the ball in his hands a lot more. So somehow he's, he's improving statistically without necessarily changing his style of play, despite having the ball in his hands more often than he has in past seasons. I think that's worth being noted as the fact that not only has he improved even more this season, but he's doing it in a very like uncharacteristic way. And that's the thing, though, like, it's interesting that Jalen Brown is the model of consistency. We know he's the third overall pick, but did anyone think that he was going to be the best player on the Celtics at one point, especially on a team that has Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Tristan Thompson, who, like you said, has just kind of been there. But the interesting thing is that, like, Jalen Brown is a guy who has flown under the radar this season and like you said i mean not a lot of people have talked about it you know he averaged six points a game in his first season and he was the third overall pick like i mentioned and now he's averaging a career high 26.7 points a game and he's shooting a career high 52 percent from the field and shooting a career high 42.7 percent from three He's putting up career best in almost every category. I can kind of see where you're coming from with Giannis, where you don't want to see the same thing again. You have a point, you know, Giannis has been, has been playing up the same numbers consistently. He's been great uh, shooting in the mid range and shooting in the paint has really been unable to shoot from three efficiently. And then, you know, of course, LeBron's always going to be in the conversation. Nikola Jokic is a new name, and Joel Embiid are new names. And I think that's that's a good transition to my next question. Has, has Giannis given NBA big men a name and a chance to win the MVP again? 
I think that he's opened up the conversation, but I think it's just the fact that he has such a polarizing impact on the game because of the fact that he plays in a very like we're in 2021. So in 2021, his style of play is unconventional. It's unconventional that a slashing wing with no real three points with no real threat as a three point shooter that relies heavily on creating contact, finishing through contact and playing in a bit, a more of a driving kick system is not really one of those things that's precedented to turn you into a, into a all-star, even an MVP caliber play. Like it almost sounds like a more physical version of DeMar DeRozan and a more physical version of DeMar DeRozan. You know, obviously the inside game is not as polished as DeMar's. Let's not sit here and try to turn Giannis into somebody. He's not, he's a, he's a dunker slash driver. DeMar DeRozan is more of a mid-range style player, but nonetheless, that's what I mean when I say a more physical version. And so a, a player of DeMar DeRozan's caliber that stands, but what stands at 6'11 and plays with a bit of more physicality rather than finesse in the mid range. I don't think that's a player that you would never necessarily stamp as an MVP in 2021, even in 2020, yet it's been unprecedented. I think the thing for, so I was listening to a podcast. I, I forget which one it which one it was. And boy, I wish I could remember the name of it because that would help a lot. But I was listening to a podcast and, I, and one of the topics, I think this might have been for one of the athletics podcasts. And they said some one of their topics was talking about the fact that the stretch four might be dead. And I thought that was really interesting that they touched on it because it's like, no, I would think that the stretch four is all over the freaking place. You've got every single team in the world trying to get a stretch four. And if they don't have a stretch four, they want a stretch four. And if they already have one, they're like, Lord, I ain't trading them. You're not getting them from me. But then they went into something that was really important that I thought was interesting. And it wasn't necessarily that stretch four is, is dead in terms of it doesn't exist. I think they, they, they went more into it of saying the stretch four exists so much that it's not a threat the way it used to be. See, it was different when you had a, having a stretch four used to be a unicorn like thing to have. Now it's every now it's every day. It's it's a it's an everyday it's an everyday struggle thing. It's one of those things where every team has one. So now, what makes you unique? And it's even more lethal because I, I would point to somebody like Brooke Lopez, for example. Brooke Lopez like sits around and like behind the arc like most of the time now. Like it's it's really interesting. Like kickback threes to a center are like the staple like now for whatever reason not even like trailer threes which like anybody who who has played like super old like basketball games like really really old basketball games knows that the corner three and the trailer three are like automatic money buckets so the fact that they're not utilizing those is completely separate but like getting back to where getting back to where all this was going from I think that guys like Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic are some of the only, maybe the only five centers or really five big men in the league that truly count as stretch fours nowadays. I think Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic headline that stretch four, stretch fives. And because they're in such a unique position, they play it so uniquely well and they both play it significantly different. 
I think that's what's played them into the MVP race more than anything. I think Giannis as a big guy has made it like big guys are still here. Like that's what, like what the last two years have told us, but from a, our big men can big men be MVP stance. I think from a year to year basis, there's still guys who show you just how prominent they are. I think another guy who falls into this category is Demonte Sabonis, who I don't think would ever be like an MVP, but I think he falls into this category as well as a guy who does something very unique or at a very high level at the position. I think these guys are actually better than Giannis, a lot better. But I think maybe Giannis has woken the world up a little on what big men can do. So as someone who plays old basketball games, I can mm-hmm. completely understand and I completely relate to. So I can just remember like when we were talking about underrated stars from the early 2000s, like we were talking about Rashard Lewis and Antoine Jameson as two guys who were stretch fours on their team who could like shoot threes and be physical inside the paint. And like now it's just become an everyday thing. Giannis is an interesting case because I think he was like the first big to win an MVP since like Dirk. But like he's really paved the way for guys like Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic to really be in this conversation. But I feel like it shouldn't come as a surprise that Embiid and Jokic are in this conversation because they are two of the best centers in the NBA. And I think that they're versatile players as well. Like guys who can shoot threes, still physical in the paint, work out their game and expand to the mid range. They pretty much play like every position on the, on the floor to the point where you think they're like an all around NBA player where they're a hundred overall in NBA 2K. Just looking at the two centers from our list, Jokic and Embiid. I would have to give the edge to Embiid simply because of the team. I think the case, it's like Bradley Beal. The only reason why Bradley Beal is not in this conversation is because he's on the Washington Wizards mm-hmm. and they only have five wins. If he was on the LA Clippers, we'd be having a different conversation right now. But if Jokic wins, it would be huge, not only for the Denver Nuggets, but for guys who are on teams that aren't at the top of the standings. If you remember when Russell Westbrook won the MVP, the Oklahoma City Thunder were like sixth in the Western Conference. Denver is currently seventh right now, and Philadelphia is first in the Eastern Conference. So obviously, both Jokic and Embiid are great players. But I think the next thing that they're going to look at is association and Denver is not at the top of the standings like they were last year. They're currently seventh. They have the ability to turn it around. But Philadelphia right now is arguably the best team in the NBA. And there's a chance that Joel Embiid could end up being the MVP of the league. And he's on a team that is almost the perfect fit for him in Philadelphia. So I think there's just a lot of factors outside of the statistics for both Jokic and Embiid. If they give the award based on association, it goes to Embiid. But I think that Jokic is not far behind for winning this MVP. And I think he could end up, if not this year, he wins the MVP next year. 
I, I definitely don't disagree with you. And I think that kind of segues us into the next spot because we have the two unknown, not unknown commodities, definitely well-known commodities, but two guys who have ne- not necessarily been this high in the MVP standings anywhere in their career. I don't think Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid has always been somebody who's been questioned for his health concerns, never has really played enough games to really qualify as a legit top five MVP contender and this is really his first year looking like he's really truly in shape which has been something that's like really benefited him as well ironically Nikola Jokic is kind of in a similar boat since the whole bubble slim down situation but let's just address the elephant in the room I talked about the John I, I, I spoke about the Giannis uh fatigue factor earlier in the in the episode we obviously have to touch on the guy who might be at the top of the fatigue factor list. LeBron James is on both of our lists. I believe you have him at third. Yes. So you have him at third and I have him actually like slightly higher than you. I mean, I had him at twos, nothing crazy. We both have Joel and B front running. Um, but LeBron James, right. Let's just take a look at LeBron James. It's year 18. Let me just make sure I put that bubble over it. So I'm averaging 25.6 points per game, eight rebounds, eight assists. Excellent. Excellent. 49.7% from the floor. 39.8% from three. That, bro, this is best since 2012. I'm just throwing that out there. Just throwing that out there. We'll continue through. He's shooting 55.3% from two. And he's shooting 71.5% from the line, which is also really interesting because that's his best since 2017. Now, Ryan, like I said beforehand, he's year 18. It's the, the, the defending Lakers fighting against the world to keep their championship quite literally because they're also trying to beat COVID even though they're the only team that has not really contracted COVID yet I think they're getting tests in LA that we don't know about we're not going to talk about it hashtag best PED in the NBA I'm not going to talk about it but in all seriousness though I think that LeBron James somehow is not being talked about enough as a as an NBA MVP candidate I think legitimately enough, shout out Dro for this one because he's the big guy, he's the big homie, he's the, he's the big fan when it comes to LeBron James. I think the whole unprecedented waters thing, uncharted waters, unprecedented times thing for LeBron James marked with the 18, the year 18, the, the models of consistency. Like, Ryan, he's basically putting up the same numbers as he did in 2018, in 2017 in 2016 better than he did in the 2015 2016 year where they won the championship like he he's kind of doing his thing so it's like right are we missing something on lebron james are we sleeping on lebron james is he actually better than everybody is giving him credit for are we not giving him enough credit by making him the front runner considering he has the storyline to go with his play unlike Joel Embiid who's just playing out of his mind like where do where do we stand on LeBron James in the race i know we kind of show it in our lists 
but where do we where do you stand up top if you have to you know kind of spit some off the dome about where you stand it's interesting that you say like we aren't talking about lebron enough because i feel like on a lot of like talk shows they talk about lebron like every episode so <laughs> i like what lebron's doing i'm a fan of his consistency i love that he's putting up 25 8 and 8 every single season and he's also shooting his best at the line which is actually a very interesting t- statistic this is so tough for LeBron because there's like 15 other people, like 15 to 20 other people that deserve to be in this conversation, but we've only narrowed it down to five. Like I mentioned earlier, you have the fatigue with Giannis where you feel like he's in this conversation a lot. I sort of have this fatigue with LeBron because this consistent stretch is great, but who's it great for? It's great for him. It's great for his legacy that he's able to put up these types of numbers at age, I think, like 36 or 37, 18 years in the NBA. It's impressive that he's able to do this. But I feel like I've seen this story a lot. The year for for him to win MVP was last year. That was the only year that felt absolutely right for him to win MVP. I picked Giannis to win, and I was shocked that Giannis won. Because I thought for sure it was going to LeBron James. But let's talk about another man who might deserve to win MVP slightly more. And somebody who is not nearly as talked about as LeBron James. Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, who's arguably going to win the NBA Comeback Player of the Year award. But Kevin Durant has shown us one thing. He's the same Kevin Durant like he never left. And Jalen, you and I are two of Kevin Durant's biggest fans. And there's a slight bias to why I put Kevin Durant over LeBron James. Slight bias. It's understandable why I put Kevin Durant above LeBron James. Because he's something different. I know when he won the MVP in 2015, people expected him to win the MVP because he was putting up great numbers that year. You know who else was putting up great numbers that year? LeBron James. But that's the thing. Like every year he's putting up these insane numbers and we just throw in the MVP conversation. For me, he has to average 30, 10, and 5. The same numbers he's, that he's putting up are great, but I feel like he's going to have to do better considering that there's 15 other guys in this conversation. One of them you just mentioned earlier, Jalen Brown, who just keeps getting flown under the radar. He's another guy that, that gets thrown into this conversation. Luca, who was the, the, the favorite before the season started to win the MVP, he's in this conversation. I mean, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert find themselves in this conversation. DeMontis Sabonis, another guy just flown under the radar, he's in this conversation. James Harden, Kyrie Irving in this conversation. This list is so complicated and it's so convoluted that like there's at least one player from all 30 teams that's, that has to be in this conversation. People are going to throw in LaMelo Ball in this race. This is how complicated and convoluted it is this year. And it's even tougher on LeBron's legacy because if he has a win MVP, what does it do to his legacy? I mean, I don't know. It's kind of that part's kind of interesting because I don't think him winning any more MVPs helps him, nor does I think not winning any more MVPs hurts him. 
he is already a multi-time MVP winner and finals MVP winner. And at the end of the day, he's almost getting judged more by how many finals MVPs he wins than regular season MVPs because the regular season has officially been something that people don't care a lot about when you talk about LeBron James. Getting back to Kevin Durant, though, bro, I think there's a couple of things that make this whole thing uh, like really interesting and of course like you said we have our own little bias towards kevin durant and you know even then i I mean even for me i still made him what let's say i think i put him at like four out of our five yeah i put him at four and i think you put him at two so i even i even i may have dialed back a little bit more despite the fact that i'm the one that you know probably started talking about the fact that I felt like there was a, a, a lack of Ke- Kevin Durant discussion during last offseason and during last season overall. But let's look at the numbers. 29.5 points per game, almost 30 points per game. You know what that's very close to? That's very close to the 32 points per game that he averaged the year he won the MVP. He's averaging 5.2 assists, 7.4 rebounds, Interesting. He averaged 7.4 rebounds the same year he won the MVP. I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's deja vu. I'm just saying it's something to be noted. Shooting 87.2% from the free throw line has a effective field goal percentage of 60%, which is that's efficiency right there. But from two, he's shooting 56.7%. And from three, he's shooting just under 45%. Overall. The man is shooting 52.9% from the floor. Did I mention he's coming off of Achilles? Did I mention that? Yeah, probably left that out at the top. You're probably right. But I left it out on purpose to say he's doing all of that on the Achilles. He's doing all of that coming off of one of the most devastating injuries in sports, dare I say. I mean, literally from an NBA, like from an NBA track record, the only player who has notably come back from an Achilles injury and been the same player is probably Dominique Wilkins. That's like the most notable guy who's done it, come back at a high level. We already have like very recent memories of a guy like DeMarcus Cousins who got an Achilles injury. He was one of the best centers in the game. Now he's been on three teams and he's been in what like four or five teams in like two or three years like the man went from the kings to the pelicans to the warriors to the lakers and now he's on houston trying to make it work as Houston as as houston's backup center behind ascending superstar christian wood shout out christian wood again i hope he gets back on the floor soon like we're talking about very un, a very unprecedented, you know, performance set of performances here. Now, I think the biggest argument, the reason why I put him at four, is because I don't know how many games Kevin Durant is going to play this year. I got to be honest. That's one of the trickiest things about this whole thing is him coming off the injury is going to have him where he's going to rest on days you wouldn't necessarily expect, and he's on a team with two other all stars which I do also think can hurt your case to a certain extent. So I, I think that Kevin Durant could potentially be higher on this list for me. I think he could be three or two. I also think that he has stuff that factors against him where you could say that like 
four or five is just about right. But Ryan, I, I think we've kind of funneled through all the guys that we've had on our list. And I think that all these guys are have a pretty, pretty decent cases based on what we've made so far. Um, first off, I want you to go into your honorable mention a little bit further. I know we talked about Jalen Brown a little bit more, but what made him your honorable mention? What maybe describe what was it that made it hard for you to put him on your list over these guys? And then maybe name off somebody else who might've just barely missed the list for you. And then maybe I'll share like one or two of mine as well. My honorable mention, like you mentioned, was Jalen Brown. One guy that missed out is Steph Curry. I mean, again, Steph Curry is the same Steph Curry before he got injured. We just all forget that like Steph Curry is still here. He's not a guy who's like thrown into the MVP conversation as much as we think. I know he was back-to-back MVP in 2015 and 2016. Steph Curry is the greatest shooter of all time. So I think that him being healthy for Golden State is huge. And especially with the talent that he's surrounded with, I think he's been able to rejuvenate his career, even though like we feel like he's never lost a step. But let's talk about Jalen Brown. The reason why I did not put Jalen Brown on my list is mainly because of the MVP history of Giannis. I think that this year, like I mentioned, this list is complicated. So obviously there are going to be names thrown into the list. There's going to be mainstays, new names. I think that it just it makes it difficult on guys like Jalen Brown to win the MVP. Now, obviously, like Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, those are new names. This is like the first time that we've heard those two guys in this MVP conversation. It's pretty clear that they deserve to be in this conversation. Jalen Brown is underrated. And especially on this Celtics team, like I mentioned, he's been the lone star for this team at points. And I like to think about where he would be if he was the lone star on another team. If Jalen Brown was on Indiana, that team would be a throwback to the Reggie Miller days of how great the Pacers would be. That's why I like to think about in terms of MVP races. If you stick this person on another team, how would they do? Jalen Brown would still play the same. Yeah, I mean, you know I love Karis LeVert, but boy, you put Jalen Jalen Brown on, this, on that team next to guys like Malcolm Brogdon, you know, you give him a guy down low like DeMontis Sabonis to create space. Uh, for him to drive, you know, I mean, he down, down low, he's such a threat right there that when he's going to slash the basket, he's always going to have a guy that can, he can dump it off to and finish to dump it off down to, then you have Miles Turner who obviously stretches the floor a little bit as well. I think like, I think that would be scary. And I think that's what makes it so interesting because I feel like Karis Levert is not, he's not Jalen Brown, but he has Jalen Brown trajectory like written on him you know what I mean in terms of the kind of measurables and different things like that they both obviously have interesting um upbringings into the league as well which I think is interesting but uh my 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 guy who barely cracked in you know I mean you mentioned Steph Curry obviously I had Jalen Brown on my list the the other guy who I I had as an honorable mention is Paul George I look look I know all the PG slander over the offseason Completely understandable. I understand that everybody wants to see him show up in the playoffs, but this is a regular season award. He's averaging 24.4 points per game. He's averaging nearly a steal and a half per game, 5.5 assists, 6.2 rebounds. He's got 
shooting a career high 90.5% from the free throw line, an effective field goal percentage of 60, uh, 62.1%. It's extremely high, and it's a career high of his by about eight or nine percent. He's shooting 50, 53% from two, which is pretty much his highest since his rookie season. Uh, that's his second highest since his rookie, basically since his rookie season. And he's shooting a career high. 47.8% from three. Yes, I'll say that again. 47.8% from behind the arc. That is crazy talk to be doing that with the kind of offensive responsibilities that he has at the kind of clip that he has, to, that he's shooting him at. He's shooting, last season, Ryan, last season he shot seven point, he took, he had, he averaged three, he averaged 7.9 three-point attempts per game. He shot 41.2%. This year, he's averaging 7.9 three-point attempts per game, yet he's shooting 6% better on the same amount of attempts. Same exact amount of attempts. And he's shooting that much better from the three-point line. Not to mention he's shooting 50.8% from the floor, which is quite literally his best by about 4 or 5% in his career. Like... The dude is having a career year. He's played 20 games so far this season for the Clippers. I think how much he's on the floor is going to have a lot to do with it because obviously I still think that the Clippers are kind of interested in kind of staggering when Kawhi Leonard and PG play to make sure that they're protected for the postseason. And obviously the Clippers, the main focus for them is to be a long distance running you know, postseason team. You can't be going out to the Denver Nuggets in the first round in seven games, blowing double-digit leads in the fourth quarter. Can't you can't have a repeat of that? It's it's Western Conference Finals are bust, and really, it's finals are bust because PG might have resigned, but Kawhi Leonard didn't. You know what I mean? So I think that's one of those things that I think is really interesting to look at too. I think the Clippers are flying under the radar because of the disdain that people have and kind of the, the bad taste in that left in their mouth because of last season. But PG's having a really good year under the radar. He's having his best year, arguably. And I think that's really interesting. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who do you believe is the MVP through 25 games? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.